Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to give you praise. Let everything that has breath, and wow, what a, what a privilege it is to have a next breath and to be able to use it to give you glory and honor. Lord, we pray that we would do that uh, for these next few moments, and then we would open your word and we would study it thoroughly and learn from it and apply it to our lives. Lord, we just pray that you would guide us in every step of the way of everything we do uh, this morning, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. And uh, if you grab this connection card and uh, fill that out, please, I'll just uh, give you a, a quick rundown. Uh, if you're first or second time Sunday guest, we would love to know who you are, and that's one of the ways you can tell us, and we won't bug you, but we will just you know give you some information about the church so you can learn more about us if you'd like. Uh, the rest of us can fill out uh, a prayer request there on the back and uh, so forth. So uh, that's a, a, a card that we just use every Sunday to gain information and, and help you give us information if you so choose. And so you can put that in the offering plate as you leave uh, today. Now, by the way, here in a couple of weeks, um, apology on my part, uh, we never intended to tell you 
uh, and, and obviously you never took it that way because you've been giving very generously, but we never intended to tell you by not having the offering in the service that it's not important. It's hugely important, and it's an act of worship. And so we're going to put it back into the middle of the service here pretty soon. Uh, we just got to get a few ushers together, um, and they're out, of, they're out of practice. Uh, and and uh, so we, we got to get a few ushers. So we're going to put that back in the middle of the service. And um, uh, so just be aware of that. It'll probably happen the first Sunday in March, okay? Um, all right, let's... Uh, Let's sing some songs that, I tell you what, there's been a lot of uh, struggle, uh, a lot of loss, a lot of illness uh, in our church recently, and I hope these songs will bring you some, some comfort um, if you're going through any of that, okay? Let's sing together, Christ, our hope in life and death. Free! 
Stand with us and sing this great old hymn. Tis so sweet to trust. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I prove him or adore. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, all for grace.
face. Higher than the mountains that I face. Stronger than the power of the brave. Constant in the trials and the change. This one It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love, your love. And on and on and on and on it goes. It overwhelms and sounds. back to that first song that we sang today, Psalm 150. Uh, certainly not by chance that we chose that today, 
Psalm 150 shares with us a, a, a multitude of things, but if you see there in the yellow, it just mentions all the various instruments. It, it mentions so many, and then as if to say, if I miss anything, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And but the 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 meaning behind all that is look at look at all the various parts, and that's exactly what. Brother Phillips has been teaching us in, in Ephesians, God's given gifts to every one of us. And if we use those gifts, then we become a Psalm 150. We become a beautiful symphony that makes, a, that makes an overwhelming difference in this church, in this town, in this state, in the world. Um, and that's what God has called every church to do, for everybody to use their gift to, to make that, that beautiful symphony where there's no harmonies left out. And uh, if we do that, then ultimately one day we will hear these beautiful words, words I would say will be the most beautiful words you ever hear in this life or the next. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. When my pain is gone And all the worries of the world just fade away What will it be like When you call my name In that moment when I see you face to face I'm waiting my whole life to hear you say well done, well done, my good and faithful one. Welcome to the place where you belong. Well done, well done, my beloved child. You have run the race and now you're home. Welcome to the place where you tears are gone every broken thing will finally be made whole what will it be like when I come into your glory standing in the presence of a love so Singing, holy, 
Special thanks to our choir. Praise the Lord for God leading them to help prepare our hearts and minds uh, to engage our God in worship and also to prepare to hear uh, the message from God's Word. What did God have in mind when He conceived the idea of the church? What did He have in mind? We, we certainly have text of scripture that help us to flesh this out, don't we? We have the classic in Matthew 16 with Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and we have not just only the confession, but the conception. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we think about that confession and what God had in mind when he conceived the church regarding the son that he gave himself up for her. And we think about Matthew 28. And we think about the actual commission that's given to us. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. All authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. How do you make disciples? By going Three participial phrases that undergird the command to make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching. So we, we tuck that away and we say, what an awesome privilege and call and responsibility we have. Why? Because our God has all authority. He does. And so we go and make disciples. And then we think of Acts 2. If you've read that recently, Acts 2. I think beginning in verse 41 down through verse 47, we see these priorities that the early church had of preaching the word and breaking bread together. But when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, we begin to see the gifts that God has given to the church that he conceived in his mind before the foundation of the world so that we would grow and mature as a church. And that's what we've actually been talking about. Listen to the word of the Lord, Ephesians 4, <clears throat> beginning in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we spent time on this, did we not? Every believer is gifted by Christ. And then there's a transition in verse 8 to remind us, not a transition, but a fleshing out of this great Christ who actually gives these gifts 
When he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives and he gave gifts to men. So he's talking about a psalm that we looked at, Psalm 68. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So ascension and giving of gifts. And then we started fleshing out that God not only, Christ not only gifts leaders, but he also, not only does he give gifts to us individually, but he gifts us with leaders that are given to the church. And then we are going to continue through why are the leaders given? There's a purpose, not to just drive the school bus and everybody jump on. They're given so that the saints are equipped. There's a purpose for this. And then not only are they given for the saints to be equipped, but the saints are called to serve. Verse 12. And then this goal of building up and the maturing of the church from verse 12 down to verse 16. That's things that we've already hit on, some of them. But, but to also pave the road for where we are headed in the future. But notice this. Gifts uh, should bring about a response. And it should be a response of gratitude. You kids on Christmas morning, I know you tear through your gifts. Some of you are getting older and you're going to quickly move from getting gifts to giving them. It's going to happen. The older you get, the fewer you get. Right? Right? But you, you're going to move to that one day. But the fact is... Is it just gratitude only that we need when we have a gift? What if you young people just took that gift and chunked it in the closet and never used it? Like, you were grateful for it when you first got it, but isn't there more to getting a gift than just saying thank you? Yes. And that is that you ought to cherish it and use it. That is never more a reality than right here, right? It is Christ who has given the gifts. Keep this in mind. Christ did not give us ministries. He gave us ministers. Gifts, right? He gifted the church with people. And we've gone through some of these people. Some of them do not exist anymore. Apostles. Uniqueness of the gift of the apostolic church, right? Of, of how God did this to us and for us. And then we looked at prophets. Small p, yes, I could definitely, subsidiary gift of prophecy, small p, not large p, given divine revelation, no. And then evangelist. Don't think just about a football stadium packed with people and mass evangelism and Billy Graham preaching. That's not the, that's not the only way to think about this. Think about the fact that Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. So we have the Philip kind of evangelist going out to Samaria, planting churches and being missionaries. But we also need the gospel in the church because people are lost even in the church. And we have kids that need to trust Christ. So we need to be a gospel-focused, centered church. Lest you think missions is missing from this text, let me remind you it's not. The reason there's only one God, one Father, one Christ, one faith, one baptism is because there's only one gospel that we can take to the world that will make a difference. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ saves souls. So, I told you we were going to 
We, we finish those first three gifts of leaders, and then we come to this one. The Bible says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, the article, the shepherds and teachers. And that will be the focus of the sermon today. Are you ready? So Christ gifts the church with pastors and teachers. And immediately we end up seeing an exegetical difficulty. Okay? So is it pastor slash teacher? Or is it pastors and teachers? Which one is it? Because it's important for us to look at it. So there is a grammatical rule that says when you have one article, the that governs two nouns connected by a conjunction, then it's referencing not two things, but one. Y'all follow with me? Pastors slash teachers. It does say that, pastors and teachers. But here's the deal. When the nouns are in the plural form, are they in the plural form? Yes, it says pastors and teachers. It can call that particular rule into question. Give you an example of that. Jesus confronted the scribes and Pharisees, plural. Were the scribes and Pharisees the exact, definitive same group? No, there's overlap, but they're two different groups. Okay, scribes and Pharisees. So if you're pushing me to tell you what I think this means, I think it means pastors and teachers. So he gave pastors and teachers teachers we could put it like this all pastors are teachers but not all teachers are pastors that makes sense I think I thank you for the amen so he gave pastors it is important to note that when you come across shepherd in the New Testament it is one and the same as pastor do y'all know where the only time in the Word of God that a noun form of pastor is used in the Bible. Do y'all know where that is? You just read it. It's the only place that the actual noun pastor for a ministry position is given in the Word of God. So poieno is actually the word that gives us this terminology of the noun of being a pastor slash shepherd. He is a that's what he is. He is a shepherd. So all, of, all the other noun uses are actually real shepherds holding a staff and leading their sheep, right? Either, either speaking of the shepherds out in the field watching over their flock. <clears throat> that is the noun usage, but not as a ministry position that is used in this particular passage. Now, the verb to pastor is used many times in the Word of God. And I'm going to have you turn to several texts as we study the word together today but make your way to this one because it's important Acts chapter 20 verse 28 let me show you the verb form of to pastor uh, again don't sleep on me because God has gifted you with these alright this is important for you to know look don't just say thank you for the gift but use the gift and I'm telling you what the gift is so you can use it are you ready alright look at verse 28 Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. It means to shepherd, okay? That's the verb form. 
the passage is very important for us. The elders are being addressed and they're told, by, they're told that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers to do what? To shepherd the flock. Let me show you another one. First Peter, we're going to come back to that one. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you do so. So, the verb form describes a function. It describes an activity of an elder. So we can see clearly there's overlap, okay? Let's put this together. We've seen the word pastor as a verb. We've seen the word oversee as a verb. And we've seen the noun of elders. So the elder, elders are to exercise oversight and pastor or shepherd the flock of God. Given that direction by who? The very Holy Spirit of God. So those three words, folks, elder, overseer, and pastor, refer all to the same person. It's the same office. Elder is the term for the dignity of the office. Overseer is for the issue of oversight and government in the church. And the verb for shepherd is the activity that I'm supposed to have among my people. It's the function, it's the activity. So they're, they're all the function of singularly the elder, our elders among you. So this brings us to realize that pastors are called to be servant leaders among the flock of God. Note those words, among the flock of God. Not a rancher, not a CEO that flies over his sheep or whatever and looks at them. And corrals them up for his own benefit as a hireling. But a pastor who is both over and among. Among his sheep. So, when Jesus gives to his church pastors, he is giving to his church elders who oversee and pastor the flock. But what is the nature of what we're called to do? We're servant leaders in the flock of God. I hope you realize this, but I'm not a super saint. I do not exist only in the ethereal world, okay? My feet touch the ground almost every day. My wife's over in Georgia. I don't know if she's watching this or not. Probably not. She sees me enough. But if she is, I would remind, my wife could tell you quickly that my feet hit the ground a lot. And my nose, so much so that there's a permanent yeah, upturn to it. When you fall on your face, all pastors and every pastor is made out of the same stuff you've made, you're made out of. Okay, To be sure, you've got to meet qualifications that are given in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. There are character qualities and gifts required to serve as an elder among the people of God. But there's not a single pastor who walks in these areas in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 impeccably. Not a single one. We have strengths in some and we have weaknesses in others. And I, like every other elder in the world, we need 
work. Right? We meet the biblical requirements, but we're not some kind of celestial super saints either. Elders are ordinary men called to an ordinary God-given ministry position in his church for his glory. We're servant leaders. However, our servant leadership is modeled after Christ. We are shepherds after the order of Christ. And what does the Bible call him? The good shepherd. The great shepherd. Hebrews 13. And the chief shepherd. That's why I don't prefer the title senior pastor. There's only one senior pastor. And he's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the chief. He's the senior pastor of every true church. Amen? He is. He's the chief. However... We are called by the Lord God as under-shepherds, and imperfectly as we do it, we're called to model what Jesus modeled for us in Mark 10.45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The King, the Lord Jesus himself, who was worthy of all honor and adoration and service, is the very one who humbled himself as an example for all leaders in his church. Paul, in addressing the Corinthians, would say, We are co-laborers together with the Lord. So this servant leadership takes on a very definitive role when it comes to the church. Now, here's what I believe as your pastor. I believe that churches should not be led by a single elder. Unless that's the only elder in that church. And in some smaller SBC churches and churches alike, uh, there is that model of a single-led eldership. And in SBC life for years and years and years, that's all we've ever known and thought about it. And what you ended up with was a, deacon, a group of deacons who thought they could run the church. And they actually stepped into the elder role. Some of them may have qualified as elders. Most of them did not. Okay? So here's what we're wanting to do, not just me, but many, many leaders in this church. We want to move our church to be governed and led biblically by a multiplicity of elders. Not just me. Now, am I considered the lead teaching elder? Yes. I'm not the senior pastor. Jesus is, right? Uh, am I to be seen as the lead teaching elder in our church? Yes, but I'm not the only elder in our church. So... The goal in the future is going to be to do a bylaw and constitutional change for our church that you will see, that you will agree with if the Lord leads you to do so, that you will vote on or whatever you want to do so that this church is led biblically. Okay, uh, And then from that we're going to go back and say, okay, how should our deacon body function under the elder, eldership? So we're not talking about elder rule, we're talking about elder led. There's a major difference between those two, okay? <sighs> All right, with that said, let me tell you a little bit about what pastors actually do. Are you ready? Well, the New Testament perspective for an elder pastor is to lead, this is number one on your outline, govern and exercise oversight. I'm going to read these quickly when I turn to them. Uh, you just, I, I have them written down for you, Acts 20, 28, again, Listen, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. He's made you an overseer. So elders are to lead, govern, 
and exercise oversight. I didn't say this, but I'm not suggesting that the only elders in this church are among our staff. I believe God has equipped lay elders in this church. Okay? Men who are gifted to teach, but, are, but also meet the qualifications. So our elder-led church will be based, will have some staff, but not all of our staff are necessarily called to be elders. Okay? But it will also be involved in three to four or whatever elders that will probably rotate that are among the body. You'll always be an elder if you are one, right? But maybe the function as our church works will be more of a rotating among the lay elders. All, the, all that will, will flesh out, but I, I didn't want to leave you thinking that that's just a few select men that we pay. That's, that's not what the scripture indicates at all, okay? First Thessalonians, let me flesh this out a little more about oversight and leading. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Listen, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect, we're going to see this in a few moments, those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 1 Timothy 5, 17. You're all doing well by just listening. And, and I think I have them written down for you. You can go back and look. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. 1 Peter 5, 2. The Bible says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, listen, exercising oversight. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The Bible says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, with all that being said, we certainly decry any wrong-headed elevation of ordinary men. However, we need to understand that Christ has given pastors to his church to lead, govern, and exercise oversight. And when you get to the New Testament, I don't want to break your heart, but you don't see democracy in action. You don't see democracy in action. You see the rule of Christ in action through gifted men, through pastors, elders, and overseers. Okay, that's one. Number two, we also take care of counsel, disciple, and discipline the flock of God. And again, back in Acts 20, 28, such a key verse. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. So we're called by God to care for, to counsel, to disciple, and to discipline those. You know, shepherding is a metaphor for what we do and how we function. 
Think about the shepherd. Think about David out on the hillside watching over his flock, watching over it. How did David function? Well, there were times that he functioned probably more like a mother. And there were times that he probably functioned more like a father. Okay? Sometimes it took uh, firmness. Sometimes it takes a nursing mother. Let me show you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's what Paul would say about how the pastor is to treat and how he is to care for. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And then chapter 2 verse 11 of the same book. For you know how like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you firmness to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the picture of pastoral ministry in the New Testament. Folks, think about this. Are you awake? This is radically different from what passes off as pastoral ministry in our day. Isn't it? Today we have the idea of not a shepherd, but a rancher. In our day, the pastor is a CEO and he's over an organization. And the common model is not to have an eldership but to have a staff. And the staff, in many cases, governs the church. But the Bible is explicitly clear, and the picture is that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us elders to give oversight, to lead, and to govern. But they are also involved with the sheep. Why? Because sheep get hurt. They go astray. They sometimes need rebuke, and sometimes that even needs to be severe. Discipline, church discipline, the firmness of a father, but the nourishment of a mother. All of this comes in together with what Jesus Christ has given to the church as a gift. Number three, the next aspect is to, in the role is to protect, to restore, and to teach. Again, verse 28 of Acts 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he, this is a strong word, purchased. And the emphasis in the Greek is not blood, but the son. He gave. Is, is it precious blood? You better believe it. But the, the, he purchased you through his son. He purchased the church through his son. So just like David of old, out on the hills watching over the flock, Keeping his eye on them. Why? Because savage wolves will come in among you and draw them away. So part of the pastoral responsibility is to protect the flock. Why? There are other people who preach a false gospel. Paul says if you preach any other gospel than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be anathematized. Only one gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ the frightening thing here is not that they will come among you. The frightening thing is they will be of you when they come among you. Frightening. This is why the whole sense of unity and solidarity and theological understanding is so vitally important. The pastor is to protect the flock, but also to restore the flock. We all think quickly of the 100, and you leave the 99 to go after the 1, to search that one out 
do earthly shepherds do this perfectly? Absolutely not. No under-shepherd is infallible. Yet there is an assignment for restoration. Okay? So, I know that's a fast shotgun approach to understand that pastor, elder, overseer role. But let's, let's move with the time we have remaining to the other one. He gave pastors and teachers. Isn't this the image that we have when Peter is restored in John chapter 20? Y'all remember that story? In John 20, Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? And he repeats that multiple times. And, and then he says, Lord, you know I love you. And what does he say? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. So keep in mind that everything about we're going to say about teachers and teaching applies also to pastors. Right? But it's just not limited to that because we have Sunday school teachers. We have vacation Bible school teachers. We have women who teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Right? We've got women who teach women's classes in our church. So one of the primary goals of Christian teaching is to impart biblical doctrine. Why? Because what you believe affects how you live. Right? And so the goal is not simply to impart information. And this is something that applies to Sunday school teachers as well, our Wednesday night teachers, those who teach women, or other venues of Bible teaching that are connected to this church. Your job is to instruct according to the Word of God and also to apply in the power of the Spirit what they're learning and, and so that it's not only biblically learning but biblically acting, that we're living this out. Just in your quiet time one day, just take First and Second Timothy and Titus and just peruse through it and look how many times the word instruct and teach and learn are given in the pastoral epistles. What you find is that there's this constant bombardment of the principle of teaching. First Timothy 4. Let me show you. You just sit still and listen. Unless you're real fast or you've held the context of all of these. But listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11. The Bible says, command and teach these things. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So, the Bible also reminds us plenty of attention to what reading Exhorting and teaching. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in, what does it say? Preaching and teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach. And urge these things. And then there's a warning against teaching things that are false. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Listen to this, folks. All scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Listen to verse 17. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The scripture is God-breathed. 
As soon as he asserts this, that God's word is God-breathed, what does he tell us? Teaching. First thing out of his mouth. Doctrine. Teaching. Titus chapter 2 verse 1. I'm not going to turn there. Sound teaching. The role is to teach the word. The avenues in our church of teaching the word may be multifaceted. But this needs to be heard as a clarion call in our day to pastors and teachers. Teach and preach the word of God. And in many, many circles, there's an absolute travesty going on because the word is not preached. We are living in Amos 8, 11 through 12 times. Here's what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. There shall, they shall wander from sea, from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. When we have seminary institutions, and I'm not necessarily bringing out the 6th SBC. I don't know about every situation. But I do know we have seminary, seminaries that dumb down the need for studying the languages. You do understand the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, not English. When a seminary institution dumbs down the need for languages and theological studies and homiletics and preaching and spend more time with management skills and counseling, there is a fundamental problem in churches. Because the number one task of a preacher is to preach the word. Number one task. So, the supreme source for all instruction is the word of God. Why? Because there are some things we just can't do. And the thing I can't do is change your heart. But the word of God can. Right? That's why we preach the word. Because it is the only thing that can convert the soul. Is the preaching of the word of God. Note this. In 2 Timothy 3.16, doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Did you notice that reproof and correction and training in righteousness are all applicational words? Based on this, Timothy preached the word that is God breathed, but we not only unfold what the word of God has to say, but we also need to apply it. Now I'm not talking about telling neat stories. Sometimes we get caught up with, well, that preacher's just a good storyteller. And I like, if that story has nothing to do with the Bible, it's not a good story. All right? People spend as much time with illustrious material thinking they got to hold everybody's attention. Get a grip, people. What you need to hear is the very word of God applied to your life. And here's what I know we're not very good appliers. We love to hear waxing, eloquent stories. But do you apply that to your life? If you never move into the obedient factor, then you haven't really heard at all. Okay? You haven't heard until you... Why do you harden your hearts like those in the rebellion, it says in the song. If we've really worshipped and heard the word, then it issues forth into an obedient life. So, we're not good appliers, are we? How is it done? Well, the application is done in the power of the Holy Spirit... The application is done with you heeding what the word of the Lord says and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life and not just becoming past feeling, not just quickly forgetting what you've heard, but actually applying it to your life. We need this. There is something in us that resists application. 
And the role of the pastor teacher is not only to unfold, but it takes some reproof sometimes, right? It takes some correction. It takes some training. When does this happen? I want to remind you that if you're just praying for me as I step up here, you need to start praying earlier. All right? You need to pray in preparation time. God, open my eyes. Lord, help me to see what your word is saying. Keep me in the text. Lord, direct my eyes. Open my eyes to see. But there's also the Holy Spirit when we deliver the word, isn't there? With the application and and how the Spirit of God puts his finger on areas of your life. And here's what I know. I don't know exactly what application you need. But I certainly know what to preach. Because we have it. And it's an amazing thing. I don't have to wait till I'm particularly inspired to preach it. Because this is inspired. It's God breathed. It's his word. And he knows exactly what you need. How many times have you said to me, preacher, you were preaching right to me. I had no idea I was doing that. Right? But I, f- I know this. God's word shall always accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. Every time, God's word will accomplish it. How many times have you teachers in Sunday school written down your notes and you're like, Lord, God, help me. This is an absolute mess. And then you get up there and the Holy Spirit of God helps you deliver it in such a way that you know that God connected it with hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so the Spirit of God must attend the preaching of the Word. The Lord's agenda for the body is that we should grow in maturity, in service, and in love. And in order to achieve this, Christ has gifted His church with pastors and teachers, right? Preparing them, equipping them, and sending them to do the work. Now, can I give you some quick application? Y'all got anywhere to go? Let me give you some application about this. First, two fellow elders... Either staff or perhaps you will be an elder in this particular church body. Uh, I want to remind you that the calling and the gifting that you have to do the task was not just given for you. There are, there are elders all over the world who feel like, oh, this is my self-satisfaction that I get to preach. I'm wonderful. I am such a wonderful gift to me. I want to remind you, there is nothing at all about you being gifted for you in this text. Not one thing. The reason God has sovereignly gifted you is because he gave you to the church. Are y'all getting this? And, and it's, it's true in every gift. Some of you sometimes may complain. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not using my gift. Why did God give it to you? For you? Now, do you get satisfaction out of using your gift for the glory of God? Absolutely. But the primary reason he gave it to you is for this body. It's for this particular church. It's given to you for the sake of the body. It's far too easy in our celebrity culture to begin to think that the gifts and the calling that we possess from God are somehow given to us for us. That's not the case. Christ never calls and gifts anyone so that it can be a wonderful end in itself for that person. He gifts you for the body. So, here here are a few things of exhortation. Understand what an awesome responsibility it is to teach the word. Y'all listening? It is an awesome responsibility. James puts it like this. 
Don't let many of you be teachers, brethren, knowing teachers will incur a stricter judgment from God. That's serious. Then from starting that starting point about what you're teaching, he begins to talk about the wickedness of the tongue. So this is important. So if you teach, remember that it is an awesome responsibility. I've been asked before, you get nervous before you preach. I don't know. I have cold hands all the time. Right? I don't know if I'm nervous, but I'll tell you this. There's great trepidation. There's a holy fear. Not, not worried about what you think, but worried about what my God thinks. Am I preaching in obedience to him? I'm reminding you it's an awesome responsibility. Now get this. It's an awesome responsibility if you're teaching VBS. If, you're, if you sign up to teach Vacation Bible School and you're teaching the Word, it's an awesome responsibility. If you're teaching Sunday School, whatever the venue is, I'm, I'm telling you folks, it's important. Okay? So, the second thing would be diligence. And in 1 Timothy 4, 15 through 16, he says that to Timothy. Be diligent. Keep, cl keep a close watch on yourself and what you're teaching. I'm skipping some things for the sake of time. But that gift was given to Timothy. And in that passage, he tells them that God's going to use this to mold you in your own sanctification. Right? But not only that, but he will use it in you for the salvation of others. Meaning that it's, it's, it's molded and modeled after. So that process of becoming more conformed to the image of Christ in other words, healthy churches mean healthy dis displays of the gospel to a lost world, which results in men and women coming to faith. I don't believe that God actually only justifies the end. Don't you know our sovereign God justifies the means to the end? He does. Not just the end, but the very means of the end. How's that so? Well, it's the preaching of the word. How can you preach unless you're sent? How can you sin unless God sends you? How can you be sin unless God does it? So healthy churches mean healthy displays of the gospel to the lost world. So when the goodness of Christ and the character of Christ and the word of Christ are evident in the church, people are drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. May everything that we do draw people to our great Savior. So be diligent. It's not, not, not simply an awesome responsibility, but diligence. And then please, by all means, Teaching requires being people-oriented, other people-oriented. I know I've slammed this and hit this, but folks, listen. You're not doing this for yourself or your own satisfaction or your own gratification. It's for others. Charles Spurgeon once said, Many have stumbled into a pulpit who don't belong there as evidence from the fruit of those ministries. Think about what you're doing. Oftentimes things don't pan out as people think, so they end up, Going to seminary. It didn't work out in nursing school or becoming a, a medical doctor, so I think I'm just going to go try seminary. That preaching gig looks pretty good. Really? If God doesn't call you to it, you better not do it. Right? Okay, William Taylor had this to say. The people are not for the minister, but the minister is for the people. Be others oriented in this desire in this particular vocation. All right, those are applications kind of for me as a teacher and for you if you're a teacher. But what about application for the ones of you that are sitting here today that may not be a teacher or may not be an elder? Is there anything that I should say to you 
Well, first, there ought to be some gratitude. Those things are harder for me to say. If I was a guest preacher at another church, I wouldn't have any problem just hammering you, right? Because these are things that should be the response of the people of God to the gifted pastors that the church has. But there should be gratitude. If the ascended Christ has given to his church pastors and teachers, there ought to be gratitude. This is hard to say, be thankful for me. I mean, it's not easy to do this. But folks, I'm not going to always be here. I'm not. God's going to bring you shepherds in the future. So for those future shepherds, be grateful. Be thankful that God has gifted. You could have a, a lazy shepherd who never goes with the sheep anywhere. You could, right? The fact of the matter is, your shepherd could be a hireling. Paul warns of people who take it simply for the money. God forbid. God forbid, right? Have a sense of gratitude and say thank you for the men and the women. Not, not called as pastors. We don't, I don't believe that. Not called as an elder. But our women who teach in this church. Who do an incredible job. These are gifts to the church of Christ. And we need to be thankful. All right. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. Paul exhorts not just gratitude, but to know them who labor among you. And just to cut to the chase, the word is used respect, but the marginal reading is to know them. Folks, I can't encourage you enough to get to know the elders of this church. Normally, this is what we say as church members. Pastor doesn't know me. He never even talked to me, don't we? Well, the onus is on you, according to 1 Thessalonians 5. It's not that I don't want to get to know you. I have a responsibility. I get it. I get it, okay? And I fail all the time. But I'm telling you, the onus is on you in 1 Thessalonians 5 to know them who labor among you and esteem them for love's sake. Folks, I can't encourage you enough to get to know them. We don't like just being over our people. If you're a real pastor, you don't like that. I couldn't stand it if I couldn't be among my people. I'd just go to seminary and teach. I would. But the call of God, if you're a pastor, is not just to be over and give oversight, but to be among them. There should not be in the Lord's church a, a huge distance between the pastors and the people. Did y'all hear that? There shouldn't be this huge distance. Okay? But in 1 Thessalonians 5, you're the one to close the gap. Now, I know I'm called to close the gap a lot, but I'm telling you, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we all have a responsibility to close the gap, right? So the second point of application is appreciation. Not just being thankful, but appreciation and esteem. Get to know those. And finally, and this is really the most important one to me, you need a dedicated reception to the ministry of the Word of God. A dedicated reception to hearing the word of God. So vitally important. This week, for some reason, I got pinged with text after text and email after email for the faithfulness of preaching the word of God. And I'm telling you, that's like telling a Georgia Bulldog to sick them. When I get that encouragement to continue to preach, thus saith the Lord, it's like saying, sick them to one of those old junkyard dogs. Right? 
may your tribe increase. Have a dedicated reception to the word of God. In the early church, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Look, folks. Desire the pure milk of the word of God that in it you might grow. Do y'all know any little chubby baby that doesn't want that milk? It's abnormal for you not to want the word of God and grow in it. It's abnormal. And, you know, I'm not the best preacher in the world. You can find some of those on YouTube and everywhere else. But this is the church you're in. Right? And the fact of the matter is, you should have a dedicated attitude of receiving the word of God. And there are many of you who are wonderfully hungry. And what a blessing it is to be hungry for the word of God. Don't miss out on what God is doing in this church by failing to know those who labor among you. Right? Embrace the gift like the Thessalonians did. In chapter 1, Paul went to them and he says, We know what kind of reception we had among you. That you receive the word of God with much fear, with, with affliction even connected to it. And they saw the work of God being performed in their midst. The spirit of God knows who needs what application. So gratitude, appreciation, esteem. Here's, here's the concluding remarks that I would like to give. May the Lord God himself help our church in this context to display the beauty of Christ revealed in the entity called the church. May God do this with the gifts that are given. And that concludes the gifts that, that are given to the Lord here, given to us by the Lord here. But there's also a multifaceted approach in the other texts of Scripture, understanding the gifts that God has given this church. Anybody need to be saved today? This sovereign Lord who distributes gifts, is also the one who saves. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Perhaps you came here this morning, and maybe you didn't know why you came, but God knows. And perhaps today is the day of salvation. Perhaps you need to know the Lord, and to trust the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, I declare of you at first importance that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Salvation is to rescue from danger. So-so, that's what the word means. <laughs> the Son of God came to do thus, Lee, right? To do that for you, to save your soul. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the word of God. Lord, I know the hour is getting late, but Lord, we don't want to restrict ever what your Holy Spirit is doing. And Lord, may you speak to hearts. Lord, may you change us in regard to what we hear. Lord, may you use your word to accomplish your purposes. God, help us as a body to be healthy, to function as we should. Help us be a light to all the nations of the power of the gospel to save sinners. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's stand together and sing, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the crowd. <laughs> All right. This is Todd and Kate Sublet, Tanner Sublet, Mackenzie Sublet. That was a Cully. Mm -hmm. All right. And then we have Aaron and Jason Billingsley. Jansen. Jansen. Oh. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get Don. Look, look at there. Yeah, yeah. It, it happens a lot. <laughs> uh, well, um, you can see that they're related either by marriage or son <laughs> and daughter. But they uh, come to us today, and all of them have trusted Christ as Lord. They'll be coming to us by transfer of letter from probably two different. All of them, okay, from Sister SBC Church up, in, up north in St. Louis area. And so I had the privilege of meeting and talking with them and what a joy it was. And I want you to welcome the newest members to our church. Amen? Amen. All right. The Lord is good. Not only get to know those who labor among you as pastors, but also your members, right? And most of you do a great job doing that. So we look forward to uh, leading them and loving them and, and same to you. All right, let's let y'all head to the back over there where James is and Chris. God bless y'all. Tonight, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And Blake's going to give us a little bit of an update on our mission endeavors. And I am going to take a few minutes to talk to you about what we're going to do in March by way of getting out in our community and making some visits on one Sunday evening a month. Okay? Just want to talk about our four cards, what that will look like briefly tonight. And in March, we're going to do more of a training on that Sunday night, not going out on the 13th. But in April... We'll go out for the first time. All right? Well, God, God bless each one of you. Oh, and this is what I want to do. Alan and Donna, where's, where's your wife? There she is. Come over here for a minute. Alan and Donna are leaving us. I know, I'm sad too. But uh, they've been a blessing to us. They really have. This, 
uh, Donna picking up that instrument, letting everything to half breath. Praise the Lord. Alan's been on our safety team helping us. and Man, I hate to see them go. I really do. Good folks. Um, so they, they did live down in Highlandville. I guess you could say sold the farm, right? And you know how things sell right now very quickly. And they're moving back over with their kids and all, and grandkids to Oklahoma, okay? About six hours away. Where's that, Alan? Um, we're moving to Wilson. Wilson, okay. Would y'all pray for them? All right. And pray that we'll get someone to replace our musicians up here. Amen. <laughs> all right. Y'all, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer closing. Alan, why don't you just go ahead and voice our closing prayer, and we'll, just, we'll be dismissed. Let's sing together. Well done. Well done, well done, my good and faithful one. Welcome to the place where you belong. Well done, well done, my beloved child. You have run the race and now you're home. Welcome to the place where you belong.